Good to see you. My name is John, and I am the lead pastor here. If you're watching online, thank you so much for joining us wherever you are, whenever you are, but we are glad you are a part of this, uh, this thing that's going to happen here. And um, we are just, Cross Creek is a church for people who don't normally go to church. And because of that, we want to be a safe place where people can ask questions, people can explore, people can say, you know, so you said this, but what about... And that's why we have these cards in the seat in front of you. And we have a section online that says, ask a question. These cards, uh, you can say, hey, you know, you can communicate with us. called Connect Cards. Connect with us about maybe you want to join a service team. You want to um, maybe get baptized, publicly show people, hey, I am a Jesus follower. And that's what baptism is all about. Or maybe you have a question. If you have a question about anything that we talk about or about Jesus or the Bible or God or anything like that, Mark this card, put your name, email address on it, and then on the back, write your question, and we will try to get back to you uh, with maybe an answer, maybe kind of just a further step later this week. So um, before we get into our, our last message in this How to Ruin Your Marriage series, I want, to, uh, I want to tell you guys about something. Basically, I have good news, I have better news, and I have great news. Yeah, I know. Are you guys excited? Very good. I'm glad. So the good news first, Cross Creek is growing. Like maybe, maybe you're a part of that growth. Maybe you're like, you know what? This, I, I, I tried out Cross Creek and then something just kind of clicked and I just, I just found myself coming and coming and coming. Cross Creek is growing and that's great because we want people to discover God's love and that's what this service is all about. It's helping people discover God's love for them. And there's, it's not a problem, but it's more just a reality. When, when we are growing, we're running out of parking in the parking lot. I don't know if you've noticed that, right? We're kind of parking in the grass and stuff to make, make space for, for people who are visiting. And so we are running out of parking, which is a good, a good thing, right? We, we have room in here. We have room for the kids, but we, we need some safe parking spaces for, for the cars. And maybe you were here in the winter, and it was, it was pouring, it was raining, and you had to kind of dodge all the puddles and all the mud in the parking lot. Well, here is some good news. We're growing, and we need more parking. And so Cross Creek is taking on our first financial campaign to raise $10,000 to regravel this parking lot and expand it further so we can have uh, even more people coming and discovering God's love for them. In fact, we're hoping to get about 65 parking spaces out of this, uh, this revamp. And so that's going to cost about $10,000. And so we, so we are starting a financial campaign to raise, to raise that money. That's the good news. I've got better news. Because we're not just about us, right? I mean, that'd be cool. You know, we want people to, I'm going to move this cord. We want people to come here, feel comfortable, feel safe, to discover God's love. But we're not just about raising money for a parking lot, which I think is needed and it's important. But we want to be for, for our community, for Salem, for Kaiser. And so with this campaign, we're going to use the energy, the momentum, and some of the money of this campaign to come alongside an organization called Every Child. Every Child is an organization that... Um, helps, comes alongside foster kids and foster families. From the moment they, these kids are you know, taken out of their home in whatever situation they're in, every child comes alongside them, right? They say, hey, they have these welcome rooms and uh, 
in the DHS that every child helps run, and then they have these welcome boxes for kids who've just been ripped out of whatever situation they're in, saying, hey, things are going to be okay, right? And then they walk them through. They, they get a they get uh, people to walk through with them this whole journey of being in foster care. And even when they are 18 and they graduate out of foster care, they give them, uh, I think they're called graduation boxes or packets, basically saying, hey, these are some things you are going to need as you now transition into adulthood and being self-sufficient. And so we're not just going to raise $10,000 for the parking lot. What we want to do is we want to raise $15,000 so that we can donate one-third of everything given to the parking lot to every child. So we want to donate to every child $5,000. And so I'm excited about that. That is the better news. Now here's the great news. Are you ready? You get to be a part of this. You get to be a part of the story that anytime somebody drives in onto this parking lot, you can be like, I helped, I helped get that parking spot. I helped be a part of them discovering God's love. Anytime somebody walks in and says, you know, I, I haven't been to church in 20 years. I got so burned on, on this church I used to go to, but for some reason God, God told me to come here, and for the first time, somebody smiled at me at a church. For the first time, I feel like I belong at a church. I never thought I would set foot in the church again, but my, my life's changing. You get to be a part of that story, and you get to be a part of any kid who enters foster care having a welcome packet, having a smiling face. Our donations will change this community, and we all get to be a part of that. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> And so in your program, as you came in, you might have seen a card that says safe spaces. That's what we're calling this financial campaign, safe spaces, because we want safe spaces for parking and we want safe spaces for kids. It's a lot better than my original name, which was Cars and Kids. <laughs> that got voted down for some reason. <laughs> so we're going with safe spaces. And on that card, you can see different um, levels of partnership that we're looking for that would get us to that goal. But this is going to be a six-month campaign. You're like, well, okay, that's kind of long. And what you're going to see is in a couple months, we're actually going to start doing the parking lot because it needs to be done in July when the ground's not so wet but not so hard. And so it, it just needs to be done. And so we are going to hopefully have enough to get that going. But we're going to carry this campaign on for six months. And on that card, you can say, if, if you so choose, don't do it today. Take your time. Say, okay, how do I want, how's God going to use me to be a part of this? But um, on that card, it have different levels of partnership that we're looking for. And you can say, hey, I want to do this one-time gift of however much, or I pledge for six months to be give this amount every month that will total so much and so that we, we know what's, what's going to come in, what we can count on. And here's something we're going to do. But wait, that's not all. <laughs> we really believe that um, God cares how generous we are. Right? God's two commands are love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And part of that is being generous. And he says when you're generous, not only will you, know, you, be, well, you feel good about it, but there's, there's more to it. There's, there's spiritual blessings that come along with that and that type of thing. I'm not saying you, know, you give a bunch of money and God's nice to you. That's not what I'm talking about. But we believe you will not regret giving to this campaign. And so we, we firmly believe that. And so at the end of six months or any time in between where you say, you know what? I gave to that, but I'm not feeling it. In fact, I kind of regret it. No problem. We will give you your money back. It's a money back guarantee. So there you go. Safe spaces. If you're not happy with, with your investment, we'll give you your money back whenever you want it. I mean, within a year. 
I'm just kidding. <laughs> but so there you go, safe spaces. We are very excited about what God's going to do and the fact that, hey, you know what? We need more parking. That's, that's great. And we get to be a part of that, not just, you know, somebody footing the bill, but we all get to be a team in that. So uh, thank you for prayerfully considering how you can be a part of safe spaces. So with that, we are going to uh, begin our last, our last uh, talk about how to ruin your marriage. Because I figured that's pretty easy to do, right? It's easy to ruin your marriage. So let's talk about that. Having the perfect marriage, that's not even possible. So I, I'm not, I can't promise you that, but I can tell you how to ruin your marriage. And so a little bit of review of what we've talked about so far. In the first week, we talked about how to ruin your marriage. Be selfish. Make your marriage all about you. And we asked you this question. Who's winning, your partner or your preferences? We talked about putting your preferences on hold and making your marriage, your life, about your partner, not just about you. So who's winning, your your partner or your preferences? And then we talked about how to ruin your marriage. Control it. Try Try to control your marriage. Try to control your partner. And the solution to that is we said, you know what? It's out of your control anyway. Everything in life is out of your control if you think about it. Right? We don't control, we don't control our next breath. And now you're very aware that you're breathing right now, aren't you? Isn't that annoying? But you can't even control that. You can't even control if that's going to happen. So we said give up control. Trust God with your pride and your fear, because when you're trying to control, it's either because you want something for you, your pride, or you're afraid you're not going to get what you want, your fear. Trust God with that. He cares for you. He's going to take care of you. And then last week, how to ruin your marriage? Expect that your expectations are supposed to be met. Expect that your expectations are supposed to be met. That your spouse, your partner, it's all about making you happy and fulfilling you, and that's what marriage is for, is for your happiness. That's a myth, right? Stop, ex- stop expecting your spouse to meet your expectations and realize that you can expect nothing because you owe everything. It doesn't always make sense. It's not logical, but tell your spouse, you owe me nothing. I expect nothing from you, but I owe you everything. I owe you all of me. And that's the type of love that Jesus calls all of us to. And so as we are doing this series, I think I need to remind you one more time that this series comes with some rules because this can be misused. This can be abused. So there are two rules as we're talking about this series. This even applies to you online if I can't see you. We know you're there. Two rules. First rule, no nudging. There's no nudging. Did you hear that? We, I was just talking to you about, talking, talking at you about this, right? No nudging that person sitting next to you. It's not about them. It's about you. And on that same line is rule number two. No saying, oh, I wish so-and-so could have heard that. Why? Because they're not here, but you are. The question is, what are you going to do with what you heard? Can you share this with somebody online maybe? Of course you can. But not because, oh, you're so messed up, let, let's, let my pastor talk to you. No. Just if, it, if, if it's something that worked for you, maybe say, hey, I, I want to share this. But it's not, oh, you know, the, oh, he's talking about them. No, I'm talking about you. Right? So we can just kind of wipe that away right now. And so this week, on our final week of this series, we're going to talk about one of the easiest ways to ruin your marriage. I thought we'd, we'd end with the easy one. Easiest way to ruin your marriage. It's subtle. 
It's very subtle, but it's deadly. It can even start before you're married. And it's, it's kind of like cancer because it slowly eats away at your relationship, slowly erodes your love, your commitment even, until it's, your marriage is unrecognizable. And if you let it grow, let it grow in you, it'll ruin every relationship you have, not just a married relationship. Well, what is it? So for our final and fourth how to ruin your marriage, how to ruin your marriage, hold on to hurts. Hold on to hurts. Refuse to forgive. Allow past pain to eat away at your current happiness. Allow past pain to destroy your future happiness. Now, if you've been married a while, or even dating long enough, you've been dating for five months maybe, you have been hurt in some way by your partner. You've been hurt. And chances are, because I know you, no, you don't, yes, I do, you've probably hurt them too. There are hurts in your relationship. And the awkward thing is you're sitting by each other right now and you might both be thinking of the same thing. It'll get better, I promise. (laughs) See, these hurts, they can be small. They can start small, like, you know, something is said jokingly that maybe hits a little too close to home. I've never done that ever in my relationship. Or, you know, some priorities are, are misplaced or not agreed upon, right? There's different priorities and you kind of feel like, oh, they, they kind of put me second. You have this hurt, maybe even from dating. Uh, disagreements, misunderstandings that could have just been talked about kind of festered and grew and they turned into fights. Something small could be something bigger, right? You did or said something that humiliated them in front of somebody else in public, A promise was broken. A trust was betrayed. Something you thought they could never do, but they did. And now what? Maybe it's something that only comes up a few times a year, right? But when it does come up, it always causes that argument, always causes those hurt feelings to just to resurface. Maybe it's something that is in your face right now every single day and you have to just deal with it. And maybe it's even something you can't even put your finger on because it's been so long, but it's there. There's that resentment feeling, right? This holding on to something. And whatever it is, it is there, and it is a hurt that is eating away at your relationship, one thought, one memory, one conversation at a time. Welcome to Cross Creek. But there's hope. There is hope. There is a way through it. There is a way to heal. There's a way to get back to what you always wanted when you first fell in love. The Apostle Paul calls it the way of love. And he describes it in one of probably the most famous passages on love. Maybe one of the most, yeah it is, one of the most famous passages in the entire New Testament. In fact, you probably had it read at your wedding. And after tonight, you're going to be like, why did we read that at our wedding? Maybe you've heard it at weddings, and you thought, oh, that's nice, sentimental, wishful thinking. That'll never happen because you know what relationships are really like, right? 
And here's what we're going to see in this famous passage that maybe you're already thinking of. Letting go of hurts. Letting go of hurts is a simple, consistent, and terrifying choice. Letting go of hurts is a simple, consistent, and terrifying choice. And we're going to see this in uh, the book that we call it the book. It's a letter of 1 Corinthians. It's in the chapter, chapter 13, 1 Corinthians 13, right? You had that at your wedding, didn't you? Your niece read it. It was cute because she kind of was nervous and she was shaking, right? So the background of this passage, of this letter that Paul wrote, it's an ancient letter to, the people, to a group of Jesus followers in the city of Corinth. And he's writing, Paul is writing to these Jesus followers who were non-Jewish. They were Gentile Jesus followers. So they didn't have the history of Abraham, Moses, and all that behind them. They didn't have any of the, the Old Testament stuff to understand, you know, who's God, what does he want, what's he like. They were former pagans, right? Worshiping Zeus and Hera and all of that. A whole different type of way of thinking about spirituality. And so he's writing to them because they want to know, what is this new thing that we're a part of, right? I, I understood this Jesus, Jesus died for me, he loves me. What does that really mean? What, is this, what does it mean to be a Jesus follower? What does it mean to actually love my neighbor as myself? Because that was a new thing for them. Their gods didn't demand love. Their gods demanded sacrifice, right? And they sacrificed so that they could get crops. They sacrificed so the gods wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't hurt them, wouldn't zap them, or maybe would just pay a little bit of attention to them so they could get, do a little bit better in business. That was their thinking with gods. And so he's, they're asking, what does love actually look like? And we're not talking about romantic love, right? When Jesus said love one another, he wasn't like, hey, you know, feel really good about each other. Like, oh, you are the cutest little thing. That's not what Jesus is talking about. And we're going to talk about what kind of love he was talking about. And the Corinthians are like, what does that mean? How do we do that? And so Paul spells it out for him. And before we dive into this passage that you're super excited about because you just want to remember your wedding, I want to stop a second. Because in this passage, Paul is writing, like I said, to Jesus followers about what it means to love like Jesus. Now, if you are not a Jesus follower and you're here, we are so glad you're here. That's why we created this church, so you could discover what, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be loved by God. If you're watching online, maybe checking church out, we are so glad you're watching online. Here's the thing. If you're not a Jesus follower, that's cool. We're glad you're here. You are welcome to try everything I'm about to say. You're welcome to try everything I'm about to read, but you are not required to. There's no requirements on you. You are completely safe. Ooh, doesn't that feel good? Because Paul is writing to Jesus' followers. And some of what I'm about to read might sound naive, like, like wishful thinking, like I said. Especially when we get to our main point tonight. You're like, that doesn't, that's dumb. That doesn't make sense. It might sound naive. Some of it might sound impossible. And I would, I would be honest and say, you know what? You might be right. Without relying on Jesus' love, what I'm about to talk about might be impossible. But what I hope you discover, what I hope you, you, you watch online, is that you see when we're reading this, the type of love, the type of life, the type of relationships that following Jesus can bring to you. And what I hope you see is the type of love that Jesus has for all of us, what Jesus' love is really like. That's what we're going to read about. And so, here's what Paul says about love, what it means to walk in the way of love, what it means to always ask in every situation, what does love look like? 
And I'm going to go a little bit fast, so hang on. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 13. If not, don't worry. It's, total, it's, it's going to be online on, on the screen. And if you're online, it'll be on your screen too, so you're good. So what is Paul, how does Paul describe this love, this new love that we're all called to, to live? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And we say, okay, so speaking, speaking in the tongues, speaking different languages, knowing all languages, speaking in the languages of angels for, for, these, for these pagan, former pagan Jesus followers in their religious, in their religious festivals, their, their priests, they would go to the oracles and their priests would, would mumble and talk in this, these, I'm going to call it gibberish, I'm not talking down, but just gibberish languages saying that they are speaking to the gods. Right? They're speaking the God's languages, and they were so good at it and so eloquent, and they, you know, it made them seem so close to the gods and so spiritual. And he's saying, if you can do that, if you can speak all the spiritual languages, all the languages of humanity, and you have this silver tongue, and you don't have love, it means nothing. It means nothing. Which, by the way, is a good reminder for all of us, that if you see somebody up here in this position like I'm doing right now, and you're like, man, he's a good speaker. Man, I know we don't say that here, but man, he's just amazing. And oh my goodness, he should, just, he should go on the road or she should go on the road or whatever. That doesn't mean that they're really spiritual. That doesn't mean that they're, they're the ones to follow. Talent, speaking ability, being spiritually deep, which is really just code word for confusing, means nothing if it's not backed up with love. It means nothing. He goes on. Verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all, if I can tell the future and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, I understand everything about the universe. I know every, I know every verse in the Bible. I know exactly what it means. I, I can I can quote to you Isaiah 42. I don't know what that says. I'd have to look it up. Anyway, all mysteries, all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, I, have, I believe anything is possible. I believe God can do anything. But I do not have love. Think about that. I am nothing. I understand all mysteries. I have all knowledge about all subjects, including what I say is my religion. I believe in it so much I can move mountains, but if I don't have love, I am nothing. Basically meaning I am useless. I am nobody. Knowledge and faith mean nothing without love. And he goes on. Verse three. If I give all I possess to the poor, wow, that's loving. Everything, right? That's less sacrifice. And give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love. I gain nothing. Give all their belongings. Sacrifice their bodies without love. It's pointless. It's worthless. Which, if you, if you follow different Christianity trends, this really just kind of slaps 
uh, prosperity gospel teaching right in its face. Meaning like, you know, if you give all your money to me, to God, well then God's just going to richly bless you and, you know, you give me every, every dime you have and then, then you're going to get, you know, a million dollars. If you give everything you possess to the poor but without love, it means nothing. If you give to get, you get nothing. We're going to talk about boasting in a little bit. It says, if I do not have Love, do not have love, not feel love. It's not what he's talking about, about, you know, if you do all these things, but you don't feel love in your heart, it's nothing, no. If you, if you do all these things, but you don't intend love, you don't say love, no. Have love, it is something I am. It is something that I do. Love, this type of love is in every interaction I have with others. That's the type of love he's talking about here. In fact, the type of love he's talking about is love is a choice to act. These are actions that we're going to talk about in a second. Things you do, not things you feel, not things you intended to do, not things you say you are for, but what you do. This love is an action. So Paul gives us actions. Next, next that we're going to read, Paul gives us actions that are examples of love, right? He told us how important love is. You can do all these things, but without love, it's meaningless. Now, what does love look like? Again, these aren't feelings. And these aren't rules. These are examples of this type of love. Examples of Christian love. What it means to actually love your neighbor as yourself. They are the result of the love of God. The love that comes from the Spirit of God transforming who you are. And, again, like I said, they are descriptions of the love Jesus has for each one of us. So what, what are these? What does love look like? Verse 4. Verse 4. There we go. Love is patient. And these are ongoing actions, meaning what you could say is love exercises patience. Literally, it means love is long-tempered. Not easily annoyed. We'll get to that, too. Love is patient, long-tempered. It takes a long time to get them going. Love is kind. Love shows, is actively showing kindness, shows undeserved generosity, is actively going out of their way to seek the good of others. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. There is no resentment toward others that we don't have what they have. That we aren't what they are. There is no envy there. There's, there's no comparing. Saying, oh, but if only I was like... But, well, I mean, obviously they're, they're doing well. I mean, look what, the, who they, look what they did. There's no envy. Love does not boast. Does not boast. See, you know what boasting means? It means I'm so great that I don't need you. I am better than you. Look how good I am. You can offer me nothing. You to me, nothing. What you can offer is worthless. That's what boasting is. I don't need you. But love instead says, I will let you shine. This conversation, this relationship, this interaction is about you. How can I let you shine? I take a back seat and I let you be the star does not boast. It is not proud. It doesn't say you and what you want are not as important 
as me and what I want. It does the reverse. It says, your wants, your needs are more important than mine. It's not proud. Does not dishonor others. Basically, it doesn't use others as objects to get what you want. You are not a source of me being fulfilled. You're not a source of me getting what I want. Does not dishonor them. Doesn't make them less than. Doesn't make them a tool or an obstacle. Basically, it says if it dishonors you, if it makes you less than me, then I don't do it. If it it dishonors you, I don't do it. It is not self-seeking. Meaning, you know, self-seeking, failing to take others' wants and needs into consideration, just worried about yourself, seeking fulfillment for yourself. It is not easily angered, kind of like that long temper thing, right? Their first reaction when maybe offended, which is, you know, your choice, but offended, their first reaction is peace. Oh, somebody says something offensive to you? Their first reaction isn't to fight, isn't defensive. Their first reaction is peace. And if you want a little help on this one, Get some better sleep and a better diet, because that tends to help with the long temper, right? So, not easily angered, and it keeps no records of wrong. Now we're getting a little bit closer to what we were talking about, right, of letting go of hurts. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not dwell on. It doesn't ponder. It doesn't give careful thought in the middle of the night or when you, before your alarm goes off to hurts. It doesn't obsess about it. In fact, it doesn't hold on to hurts. Love doesn't hold on to hurts. Now, is your problem solved, right? No, we're not there yet, right? Now, it doesn't, love doesn't ignore the hurt. That's not what I'm saying tonight. Love calls it what it is. You hurt me. But it has a willingness to forgive. And that's probably the first step, that willingness to forgive. I want to forgive. It's not hoping to get even. So love keeps no records of wrong. Verse 6. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It's not glad when other people mess up. It's not glad when, when they fail at something, you're like, I knew it. I mean, look, look, how they, look, look at what they did. Look, look how they treated me, and now they're getting what they, what they deserve, right? It doesn't rejoice in evil. It doesn't, it doesn't look forward to saying, I told you so. Remember, if you had just listened to me, well, then you wouldn't be in this mess. No, it rejoices when the truth is known. You say, no, this is reality. This is who this person is. So these things that Paul's saying are actions of love, are examples of love, are ongoing. They're an ongoing care for the welfare of others. Actions that cause us to identify with others, making their needs, their concerns, our priority. That's the love. They are the result of, and we'll talk about this next week, they are the proof of the love of God being in us. These actions are examples of the proof that God's love is in us. And they are the result of it. In fact, love is proof that God is in us. Love, this type of love, is proof that God is in us. Now, I've been talking about marriage at all, have I? We haven't really fully found our answer of, you know, I don't want to ruin my marriage by holding on to these hurts, but they're there. Okay, you said let go of them. (laughs) I've been trying. What do you want me to do? Well, it's not what I want you to do. I'll tell you in a second. 
So I haven't found our answer. These are examples of what love does. And in it, we do have forgiveness. But how do we make that choice? Because if, if it tells you to do it, it means you can choose to do it or not choose to do it. It is a choice. So if we want to be able to make that choice of love and to forgive, Paul goes on. And he gives us four things we need to commit to. And these things, Paul says, is what love continually and consistently does without limit. There is no limit to this. There is no like, okay, well, that's enough. I'm done. It does it continually, consistently, and without limit. And they are choices we make. But as I read this, and you've probably heard this at least 100 times, one of these doesn't really make sense if you think about it. And this, this one that doesn't make sense, surprise, surprise, it's the key. So what does Paul say? What are these four things that we need to commit to? Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love always protects. Think about that. That's not the weird one. It doesn't tell the world. It doesn't tell their friends over coffee all of the shortcomings of the other. It doesn't Oh, I'm just venting. Yes, it's okay to talk about things and look, seek advice and, you know, what, how, do, how would you handle this? But it doesn't just expose them. It protects them. It doesn't expose their weaknesses to others. Love protects. It says always trusts, always believes the best. It's not overly suspicious. Always hopes, even against improbability. It never lets themselves say or think, oh gosh, they'll, they'll never change. They will just never change. It always hopes. And it always perseveres. It never gives up on people. It never gives up on situations. Now one of those, if you think about it, and don't just read it like, oh, it's the Bible. I just have to you know, just read it and, oh, that was nice. But actually think about it. One of those seems really naive because we, we think it has nothing to do with us. And it's this one. Always trusts. Love always trusts. I mean, that actually means always believes. Love believes everything. I mean, <laughs> that sounds kind of naive, doesn't it? And doesn't that kind of depend on them? If they prove themselves trustworthy, I'll trust them. If they break that trust, well, then they need to earn it back. That's human nature. Right? But always believes, always trusts. I'm no pushover. Like that's, that's inviting them to walk all over me. But here's the choice we all have to make. And here is the key to letting go of hurts. In every relationship, every, not just your marriage, but in every relationship, you can either believe the best or assume the worst. In every relationship, you can either assume the best or believe the best, or assume the worst. Believing the best, trusting them. Let's trust. See, love defaults to trust. Love says, I don't know, but I trust you. Not, well, uh, remember that? I trust you. It is a simple, but like I said, terrifying choice. Why? Because it leaves you vulnerable. If you trust them, what are they going to do with that? Well, they might, they might take advantage. Always trusts, 
leaves you vulnerable to hurt. But when given the choice to trust or not, to assume the best of them and their intentions, or assume the worst, love, this type of love Paul's talking about, this love of Jesus defaults to trust and assumes the best of the other. Love consistently believes the best. Love consistently chooses to believe the best. You're like, okay, I've, that sounds nice. Think about it. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, right? That is, that is the command of Jesus, right? I, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does it mean to love someone like you love yourself? Well, when you mess up, in your intentions, do you assume the best of yourself or do you assume the worst? You always assume the best of yourself, don't you? You always give yourself the benefit of a doubt. Oh, you know, and you might fight this way. Oh, I didn't mean to say it in that tone. My intentions were good. You're assuming the best of yourself. You're giving yourself the benefit of a doubt. You know, that's not what I meant to say. That's not how I meant to say it. I meant to be home when I said, but it was unavoidable. I mean, see my side. You always see your side, don't you? Because you love yourself. You believe the best of yourself. You always know your intentions were good. Paul's saying, do that for others. Love others that way, right? An example, when tonight, when I get home and the kids are in bed, and I ask Liz, hey, how do you think that went? Which is a brave thing to do. She's going to tell me the truth. And if I did something weird, which <laughs> happens, or maybe something fell flat, or maybe I repeated myself five times, she'll tell me. Now, I can choose to assume the worst. Oh, she's just, she doesn't think I'm that great. You know, she doesn't love me. She, she would rather I was, you know, a teacher, or she would rather, you know, she, she, my wife doesn't even want to listen to my, I could take it that way, right? I could be defensive about it. I could assume the worst, or I could assume the best. She's trying to help me. She's trying to make me a better me, right? She loves me enough to be honest, to maybe hurt my feelings that I'm not as great as I might think I am. So I could assume the worst, or I could believe the best. And when you apply this to forgiveness, it's a game changer. And you apply this to forgiveness, assuming the best. It's amazing. See, they hurt you in the past. You have been hurt. It's the truth. You've been hurt. Admit it. You can tell them about it. Now, you've been hurt. It happened. Nothing that anybody can do can take it away. You can assume they meant it. You can assume they still mean it and would do it again, and they actually aren't that, very, that sorry, even though they've told you that. You can assume that. Or you can give them the space to grow. You can give them the space to grow that you give yourself. You can assume they are sorry and are trying to do better. You can believe the best of them. You can choose to always trust. 
Will they hurt you again? Yes. They're a human. Will you hurt them again? Yes. And when you hurt them again, what are you going to do for yourself? You're going to assume the best of your intentions, aren't you? And hopefully you will apologize and you will commit to doing better. You'll say, I'm not perfect. I'm a work in progress. Paul's saying, give that to them. That's how you let go of hurts. So with every hurt, past, present, and future, because it's going to happen, you have a choice to make. Are you willing to choose to love them like you love yourself? Or are you going to choose to hold them to a standard that you don't even hold yourself to? It's your choice. And it's a choice you have to make before the next issue comes up. Right? Will, you, will you default? When, when the time comes, will you default to suspicion and hurt? Or will you default to trust? So what I'm saying is this. Choose to believe the best before you have to react with your worst. Before the emotions get high, make a commitment now that you will choose to believe the best before all you have left is to react. Just knee-jerk reaction with your worst response. And when you default to trust and assume the best, here's the thing, you know what happens? All the other things of love fall into place. If you're assuming the best, you are more likely to be patient with them. If you are always trusting, you're more likely to be kind to them. You're more likely to be humble. Maybe you don't know everything. Maybe you don't have all the facts yet. You're willing to wait and find out. And if you're assuming the best, you know what? You protect them. Love always protects. You protect them. Your friend says, oh, he's still not home. He's, he's late again, huh? You could say, yeah, I'm so sick of this. I can't believe him, blah, 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 blah. Or you could say, you know what? I don't know what's going on. He said he'd be home, and he's not, so something must have happened. Maybe he had to get gas. Maybe there's a big line. Maybe there's traffic. Maybe somebody needed something. Maybe his boss made him stay late. Oh, he's such a hard worker. Maybe he's, maybe he's just putting in those extra hours, and we'll talk about the priorities and that type of thing later, but, you know, I trust him. When you love like this, when you assume the best, you have hope. Love always hopes. Hopes all things. You have hope in the relationship. Oh, she loses her temper again. She tells you for the hundredth time, I know, I know, I'll take out the trash. I know, I know, I'll do that. Maybe she loses her temper, but apologizes. You could say, oh, there she goes again, trying to control me, just like her mother. Or you could say, wow, she's making progress. Never saw her mom apologize to her dad. She apologized. You see and you look for the change. You celebrate progress over perfection, just like you do for yourself. Well, look where I was, now look where I am. Are you perfect? No, but you're still celebrating your progress, aren't you? You do that for them. And you persevere because you choose to see the good in them and know that your relationship is worth it. Because believing the best gives space for people to be their best. When you believe the best in somebody, you are giving them space to actually become their best. You're giving them space to fall down. It's okay to fall down because you do it 
I do it. You give them space to fall down, but then you give them help and space and love to get back, get back up and keep trying, keep progressing, keep transforming in the love of Jesus. So it's easy, it's very easy to ruin your marriage, but you don't have to. You can make a choice to love. Not that sentimental, flimsy stuff that got you all stupid-eyed in the beginning of your relationship. Right? That's not what I'm talking about. But that solid, gritty, meaningful, purposeful, life-giving, makes-you-both-better kind of love. You can make the choice that your life and your relationship are not about you. You can put your partner first. You can trust God to fulfill your needs. You can experience the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in letting go of your expectations and choosing to serve your spouse. And you can enjoy a trusting relationship where both of you assume the best of each other. Think about it. Your kids can grow up in a home where they see real love in action, where they are so certain of the real thing that they can spot the imposter a mile away, that they don't settle for something that kind of looks like love because they know the real thing because they saw it in their mom and dad. They saw it in the relationship in their home. Maybe because they saw it in their grandparents' relationship. They will not settle for less than what they are made for. That's the kind of love you can have. So believe the best and trust God with the rest. Believe the best and trust God with the rest. It's cute, but it's true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love. Everything we just read describes you and how you love us perfectly. Thank you for choosing to love us. Thank you for making us so that you can love us. Thank you for showing us what love is by dying for us and giving us new life through your resurrection. I pray that you will give us the courage to assume the best and to trust you, to choose to believe the best, to be patient and kind. Empower us. Show us your love this week so that we can show it to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope you guys have a great week. I hope you uh, experience God's love and the love of his people. And next week we're starting our new series, Now. Go ahead and think about the Safe Spaces campaign as well. But great seeing you guys. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week.